Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 51. We are continuing our series on joy. Today, we are looking at how to deal with our low-level emotions. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. Always good to be with you. It is. Good to be together. How are you doing today? I'm honestly tired. We're recording this on a Friday night at the end of a long week, <laughs> and uh, <sighs> now it feels good. Okay. Yeah. The, the, per, the, the pros and cons of doing this with your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we do it not during normal work hours. Yeah. Well, hey, I have an icebreaker for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we live in the United States of America. And thinking in traveling touristy terms, if you could visit any state that you have not visited yet, or at least that you haven't spent much time there, where would you go? Maine. I've never been to Maine. That was literally going to be my answer. Really? We need to go. Wow. Yeah, I, I there's something about like maybe it's because we were listening to sea shanties earlier, but I'm like, I feel like let's go to Maine and watch whales. I don't know. It's like that was literally my answer. I was funny. like, I we must be related. We must be. I mean, yeah, I've never been to Maine, I don't think. Uh, I and, have not. And it <laughs> it looks beautiful. And and I like cold. I oh like, yeah, I like the cold. I, I like the beach and and oceans and stuff, but I prefer cold. Like, oh, I know it's a joke in our family, right? It's like if it's a cold, rainy, overcast day, we're like, this is Stephanie weather. So yeah, yeah it's pretty fun. Yeah. So anyway, well, that's great. I'm glad we're related. Um, <laughs> built a little joy. So um, last episode, we talked about how to tame our amygdala starting with how we handle our our high-level emotions. Do you want to go back and just give a quick review of what are the high-energy emotions and how do we handle them? Yes. So the the amygdala can give us a good, bad, or scary. And if it gives us the uh, assessment, this is scary, it will trigger um, fear or anger. So those are the two high energy levels, uh, high energy emotions. And what those do is they, it shoots like adrenaline through our body. It gets a, and it triggers a physical reaction that either makes us want to fight or flee. And hence the fight or flight reaction. Um, if it goes the other direction, it can trigger low energy emotions that it can suck the life out of us. And that's shame, disgust, sadness, and despair. So last week we looked at anger and fear this week, we're going to be looking at those other four. And I know we've been taking it more from the storytelling perspective, but could you give some some pointers to how you handle high energy emotion? Because like high energy, it literally, I mean, your body yeah, has high energy. Yeah, literally your body shakes, right. Yeah. Um, so how do, you, how do you go about handling those from maybe a body standpoint? So one of the things I'm trying to do is soothe my body. So there's a variety of things that I can do. We call them best practices, right? But the uh, there's breathing, which we talk breathe in a box, but the idea is fully filling out your lungs and then hopefully you know, getting all the air out of your lungs, holding it in a, for a four count, a four count. You can actually change the numbers. It doesn't always have to be four. We're just trying to give people a basic model to get started. And you can do that as many times as you need to. I know people have done it 10 times, right, before they finally started to feel a little control. The other is you exaggerate your emotion and then you try to calm it. And so if I was going to put this in a order, it would be exaggerate the emotion and then Take a deep breath and then I then kind of rub your hands down your arms as if you're just rubbing that emotion right out of your body. 
And then you just repeat, exaggerate, and then, you know, rub down, the, rub it out as you breathe deeply. And then, the, uh, so that would be breathe in a box, exaggerate, soothe. And then the T, we've actually got two different ways we do this. In our new book, we call it, um, the, the, the T is about our thought life. And so one of the things you can do, um, for instance, Jim Wilder has Shalom Your Body uh, exercise on YouTube that you can watch. And he actually incorporates all four of these things in that and that he exaggerates the emotion and then he's rubbing it out and taking a deep breath. And then sometimes you can add and say words that are true. Like, you know, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, oh God. Or uh, in some cases, just to distract myself, I've actually sung happy birthday to me, right? <laughs> happy birthday to me. And it always mm-hmm. makes me smile a little bit. And so that helps. But uh, so those are the best practices for kind of calming my body. The other thing I can do that is uh, similar in, with related to soothing is before I just go straight to trying to soothe my body, I can actually surprise it and exaggerate a little bit, like like cold, cold water on the face, a cold shower, you know, doing something to change your body chemistry can help too. So what does it look like to exaggerate anger? And also, how do you do that in an appropriate manner? Uh, yeah, it's probably not punching a wall, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, what is, what's an appropriate uh, exaggeration of anger? And that uh, the go-to here is to do the Hulk pose, right? <laughs> you know, you kind of, you know, flex your arms and make big fists and you flare out your nostrils and you, you know, um, I know one guy took a towel and twisted it really hard. And part of the idea here of exaggerating is you want to let that emotion crash like a wave on the shore. Just let it crash over you and release. Right. right. So because like if you've ever had somebody say like, oh, just calm down, you know, and you're like, thanks, I'm, I'm yeah. so calm now. Makes you want to punch them. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Wait, no, did I say that out loud? OK, no, that's it's true because there's uh, it's it, it's it's almost impossible to just by sheer force of the will, calm yourself down because mm-hmm. that's not how it works. So, yeah. Well, and and I think the reference to the guy with the towel, I mean, he went somewhere private and was yeah. just like, and then, you know, shook it yeah. off. And that's what happens. For, so for some of this stuff, um, there's things you can do in the moment. And the other thing you can do that's a little bit different is you can use cake. And that is you can break eye contact. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go with that one. <laughs> so you can break eye contact with somebody. You can uh, find some curiosity, you know, find something to appreciate about the person, find a way to be kind, and then restore eye contact. So curiosity, appreciation, kindness, eye contact, that's cake. And uh, sometimes that's enough just to get you back into the relational part of your brain. And uh, so, but that's a, a little bit, one is trying to get recontrol of your body. The other one is trying to get you back to acting like yourself and being relational. Makes sense. All right. Thank you for that crash course. So this episode, we're talking about our low level, our low energy emotions. Um, could you remind us what what are the low energy rem- emotions? So out of the sad, sad, you take out the two A's and you get shame and sadness and disgust and despair. So sadness is the loss of something I value. Uh, shame is the thing that I don't bring you, bring you happiness. Like a little kid who is used to seeing mommy and daddy light up when they see them for, you know, looks up and mommy and daddy are not happy to see them. Like what happened? They're feeling, Oh, you're not happy to see me. I mean, and the instinct is my body wants to hang my head. Yeah. Hang my head. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. I want to, hi- I'm, tr- I'm kind of hiding in plain sight there. And then sadness, you know, you make, you want to pout, make you want to hang out that bottom lip. You get a little teary and, you know, but it, it takes the energy out of you. Like I lost something that was important to me. Then 
disgust is that yuck feeling that I want to get rid of. I want to get it out of here. Yuck. Oh, get away from me. And it's actually meant to protect us from poisonous things. And so it might be poisonous people or situations or actually poisonous foods, but it's that yuck. I want to vomit this out of here. And then um, despair is this is impossible. It's the feeling that something I need in order to be okay is not possible. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And so I know Dr. Waters has gotten very specific. It's like, I cannot fix this problem with the time and resources that I have. It's impossible. So the good news here, right, is that is that God can meet us in every one of these emotions. And one of the problems we sometimes have is that if I don't handle a, a, a certain emotion well, I try to keep everybody else from feeling that emotion because I don't want to have to deal with it. And so a lot of us don't allow people to be sad. We don't allow them to feel their shame. We don't allow them to feel, you know, despair or um, disgust. And it's probably because we don't know how to get back to joy from that emotion. So we don't want to see them going there because we assume they're going to get stuck and I don't know how to help them get back. And so there's a lot of us who cut people off, right, before uh, instead of validating that emotion and being present with them in it. And uh, that's, uh, I think, an important lesson uh, for us to learn is that it's okay for people to feel these things. um, And our response ought to be to meet them there, be happy to be with them, even as they're feeling these things, and uh, try to stay relationally present as they recover. Well, it reminds me of the the very broadly used... uh you know, put your make sure your mask is on in, a, in an airplane, your oxygen mask, make sure that's on you first, because if you don't know how to handle it, then and you're trying to shut it down on other people like you will do that to yourself. You'll be avoidant. So, you you know, you learn, oh, that triggers that emotion in me. And so I don't do that. You might not know it. You might not think that cognizantly, but I've even heard this actually on radio interviews where the host has asked me a question. And my answer is going in, uh, camping out on a on a low emo- energy emotion a little too long, and they're like, "Well, give us some hope here, you know." Yeah, and, <laughs> and I like, uh, and I'm, and I realize what's happening. It's like, okay, well, we've got limited time. They don't want to camp out on the negatives, you know, inject some hope. But I think a lot of us do that instinctively a lot, and we don't realize that what we're actually doing is not, um, we're not helping people recover. We're just ca- forcing them to shut down. And you were using a lot of lingo here that is um, from VCR, and we've talked about this before, but for people who might be joining us uh, right now for the first time, do you want to remind us what VCR is? Yeah, so VCR stands for Validate, Comfort, Recover. And so Validate is what my right brain does, and that is I connect with you and your emotion. I non, non-verbally connect with you, like I'm in sync with what you're, you're feeling. Um, I verbally give it a correct name. And then I verbally identify correctly how big this is for you. Now, when I validate, I don't have to agree that you should be feeling this way. And I don't have to tell you you're right to feel this way. I just have to recognize that this is, in fact, how you feel. That's validation. And then comforting sounds like a right brain thing, but it's actually a left brain exercise because what you're doing when you comfort is you're making problems more manageable. So it's a problem-solving function. And so... The mistake most of us make is we problem solve first and we skip the validation. And so the order is extremely important because right brain things have to happen before left brain things. It's just the order of the way that the brain works. So we validate first and then we comfort. And if we do those things well, then the person recovers. And we can even do this for ourselves. We can validate our own emotions, comfort ourselves, 
so that we recover. What does it mean to recover? So to recover means that I'm back within my window of tolerance, which is a technical term, but it's from Daniel Siegel. But the idea is I'm back within my capacity to handle the emotion, feel like myself, and and do the next thing. So thank you for that. And going back to our low energy emotions, um, we we talked about high energy and needing to soothe or to yeah right soothe um, quiet calm yeah yeah so how do you how do you help yourself in low energy so with low energy emotions it's almost the opposite right I'm trying to get some energy from what's been sucked out of me and so it helps me to think in these terms I'm trying to get from the back of my brain to the front of my brain I'm trying to get from the part of my brain that is that is sucking the life out of me back to the the part of my brain that is my relational self and so it can help to practice some appreciation and it can help to connect to somebody if if but if they're not available like if somebody's not there to to connect with and to help you kind of get back into the relational part of your brain then practicing appreciation is important. And I will say that quieting can also be a part of this in the sense that I need rhythm to this, right? I've got to have some up and some down. I've got to establish some kind of a, uh, a rhythm to this. So I would say the key, though, in this one more than anything is the appreciation part. And something we haven't talked much about either is um, the role of prayer, yeah. right? We've been focusing on the brain science, <laughs> brain science yeah. right? But I find that sometimes when we pray, it's a lot like storytelling and that we are telling a story in our prayer. And sometimes I find that my praying is little more than deepening my anxiety because <laughs> I'm just telling God, I'm scared about this. I don't know how, I'm, or my depression. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't see a solution to this. I just, you know, and it's okay. I can start there, pour out my heart to God, right? And I pour out my heart to God by being completely honest about how deep this goes for me and how much I'm feeling. But I, the problem comes when I just stop there. I don't want to stop there um, unless it's just all I got. In which case, God rather have that than than not. But then the next thing I want to do is change my focus, and that's where I get into the why so downcast, oh my soul, right? I will yet put my hope in you, and then, so you move from there into reminding yourself of who God is, what God's capable of, what's true about God, and um, the other tool in prayer is uh, again the what's often we call the Emmanuel prayer process. Um, but before there was such a thing as a manual prayer, people have been doing this for centuries, which is just listening prayer. And that is um, forming an attachment with God, where we the goal here is really, in brain science terms, to share a mutual mind state with him. So uh, I would say that, that whether I'm talking to God and pouring out my heart, and then changing my focus to, but I will yet put my trust in you, I will yet you know choose to believe that you're going to work this out. I remember your grandfather, for example, when his first wife died, he'd been married for one year and uh, she got sick and just never recovered. They never were able to celebrate their first anniversary. He then moved to New York City from the Midwest and he didn't know anybody there. He was in seminary. He was all by himself. He was, uh, you know, uh, all alone. And he told me he used to pace his apartment every night. And just say to himself again and again, I will choose to believe that God is good, right? I will choose to believe that God is good. And partly what he was doing is he's trying to get keep his mind from going into the darkness mm -hmm. and just staying there, right? So that's 
that that story's always stuck with me too. That uh, when you're all alone and there isn't anybody else to connect to, um, it's okay to pour out my heart to God. But at some point, I want to make that pivot and begin focusing on what's true. Oh, excellent and yeah, a very meaningful story. Love my grandpa. Okay, pulling my pulling myself out of grandpa's story. Yes. Yeah, that, um, was a, that was a dark one. But oh, yes, he's yes. Well. So we okay. So in these, we've talked about the fact that um, these we sometimes we call them the big six negative emotions, um, and sometimes we call them the big six protector emotions. Right. So could you give us some examples for how some of these could be protective? Yeah. So when I think about this, one of the first things that um, pops in my mind is I heard this uh, read Tony Dungy's autobiography, and he had a daughter who had a central nervous system problem that in some places, I think it's called leprosy, right? And this uh, central nervous thing means I don't feel pain. And so what would happen is, for example, she could reach her hand into a oven that was on because she wanted the cookie that she saw when she was little. Um, she could reach in and she would burn herself quite badly and feel no pain. And so if you don't feel pain, you can actually do tremendous damage to yourself. And so emotional pain is the alarm system that God has given to us that we are about to do damage right here, that we need to stop something, we need to redirect something, or this is going to end very badly. So each of these emotions is meant to trigger an alarm for us to help us uh, realize that there's something off and I need to find a way back to joy and peace um, from where this has taken me. Mm -hmm. And will telling a joy story with featuring one of these emotions look the same as anger and fear? It does in the fact that it follows the step process. You still tell the setting, right? like my dad's story in mm -hmm. the setting. He just moved to New York City. He was all alone. The trigger, his wife had just died. He was in seminary, you know, and and he's dealing with, with this, the emotion, with deep attachment pain, deep sadness, right? Despair, right? Uh, I've lost the person who made me happy. It's like, so it's grief is this complex, multifaceted emotion. And so he was in this, and then he his point was the reminder to himself of what was true that he that he couldn't let himself go into the darkness, um, and so that there he still follows that step process of setting trigger emotion, and then the, then the point. Well, and then the rest of that story is he did then meet your mom, my grandma, and it is a remarkable thing because what happened is the you know the rest of the story is that. After seminary, he came back to Fort Wayne Bible College, and he taught Greek, and he taught uh, missions, and he was the dean of men underneath the dean of students. Well, the dean of students was a man named Elmer Neuenschwander, who was married and had a four-year-old daughter and, and a brand-new baby uh, boy, and he was tragically struck by lightning out on a golf course. So all of a sudden, there was a widow on campus, and then my dad, who was a widower. And because he was a widower, he was in a unique position, right, to connect. Well, they ended up getting married. She became my mom and your grandma. And so for 50-some years, they were together. And uh, most people don't know my dad was ever married before that, but that he was with my mom, Eleanor, for uh, over 50 years. Mm-hmm. It, it, it always we could just, go on. It right? always just he, makes me think of the mercy of God. Just, yeah. yeah. And he brought something good out of the bad. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I also I wanted to touch on this. So I'm glad you brought it up in Grandpa's story, which is attachment pain, which is not one of the big six. Can you explain why? Yeah, I mean, attachment pain is that the deepest pain that the uh, that a human being can feel because it's the deepest part of our brain system where the limbic system, the nervous system, and all that are just connecting to the brain at that very deep level. Is my cravings center. And so if I have a craving for attachment um, and that attachment is impossible, right? That is an incredibly deep pain. And then we call that attachment pain. It's not just sadness. I, you know, it's a, uh, um, it is the inability to connect when I desperately need connection. And it, it it's dark. And that's why a lot of poetry, right? A lot of love songs, a lot of movies, you know, kind of center around this idea of a, uh, of attachment pain. In fact, I've been told that like Middle Eastern love poem, romantic poems are not about how wonderful you are. It's about how deep my despair is if I can't have you, if I can't mm. be with you, right? And uh, they're all about attachment pain. Mm. Yeah, it is deep. Well, hey, we are coming up to the end of this episode. Before we get dad's final thoughts, I want to remind you about the 28 Days to Joy Challenge. Deeper Walk and Thrive Today developed this fun, free tool to help you build your joy. Visit fourhabits.org where you can sign up for free. And I hope you accept the challenge and have so much fun using it to build your joy capacity. So, my father, any closing thoughts? Well, and I I would say um, one of the things that inspired uh, this book, Four Habits of Joy-Filled People, was Chris's own journey. And a lot of people may not know the story that Chris met his wife when they were at a uh, a recovery kind of place, and she had was literally on disability for depression and anxiety. People who know her today would never guess that yeah, that was never. in her past, right? You would never know. She actually teaches joy training. And the encouragement that that is, is that she got there by practicing, by doing exercises, by building things in her brain that hadn't been there before by doing the work and doing the exercises. And now, um, you know, I, I think it's just such an encouragement, right? That, that, that change really is possible, that this kind of transformation really is possible. And that the, the calming, the appreciating, the storytelling, the attacking toxic thinking, the building a rhythm, all these things uh, uh, work together to, uh, to help us. And, I, I find that incredibly encouraging that, you know, 30 days is not that big of a time in the scope of my life. Three months is not that big of a time in the scope of my mo- uh, of my life. And if I put in the work on these things, that uh, real transformation is possible. Huzzah! <laughs> Huzzah. Thank you. Well, and hey, thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk Trailblazer with your monthly donation of $25 or more. In the meantime, if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.